Welcome to Beyond the Pink Cloud, the podcast where we talk about moving forward in our lives through recovery and navigating the world with grace, ease, and humor. We've got tools and strategies from the experts to help you live with less stress and increased ease. Let's get into today's episode. Thank you as always for being here. You are going to love this episode. If you are not familiar with Mr. Bruce Perry, then definitely check his work out after you listen to the episode. There's links in the show notes. And I had a, a wonderful time talking to him. I've, I've really enjoyed his work for quite a while now. So it was a real pleasure to hear more about his journey and his work and, and about him as a person because he's a pretty neat guy. So I think you'll enjoy this one. It's Sunday night here in San Diego, and I'm just winding down after another long, you know, beautiful, warm day and really feeling so appreciative that I get to be here on the planet, you know, and just I'm really grateful for my life. And it feels wonderful to have moments of really letting that sink in. And and I hope that you're experiencing some of those as well, because I know There's a lot of uncertainty in the world right now and unrest. And I think overall, you know, it's good. I think all of these changes, you know, I hope are are certainly for the good as we move forward. And if you are experiencing anxiety or difficulty in your own life and would like additional support around that and some tools then please come and check out Sober and Calm. The five-day mini course is going to start next week. And then the 30-day program of Sober and Calm will launch again in July. So if you would like additional support and some more tools, please come do it. It's definitely worth your time. And I really love both of those programs. So without further ado, thank you for being here. You're going to love this episode with Bruce Perry. He's amazing and has lived with indigenous and tribal peoples all over the world, made wonderful documentaries about them on the BBC as well as independently. Links for his work are in the notes, as I mentioned, as well as links for the self-love project, which you can join at any time, and links for signing up for Sober and Calm. Have a wonderful, have a wonderful day. Enjoy the episode. Thank you for being here. Please like and subscribe as always. Thank you. Hi, and thanks for joining me for another episode of Beyond the Pink Cloud. This is your host, Dr. Alice Kirby. Today, I am pretty thrilled because I have with me Mr. Bruce Perry. He's the creator of the BB Show Tribe, as well as he's uh, created two series, the Amazon and Arctic. And he also is a documentary filmmaker, and he has lived with indigenous peoples all over the world and seems to be an all-around pretty interesting guy. So thanks for being here, Bruce. Thanks, Alice. Nice to be with you. Yeah, lovely. Um, so I have a bunch of, of questions for you, and I, I know a little bit about your history as far as you were a Marine at one point. Um, would you mind sharing just kind of briefly a little bit about your sort of your early life and then your evolution, as it were? <laughs> sure, yeah, I'll do it briefly. I mean, there's a lot, but I'll, I'll, I'll rush through it. Yeah, so I started out life pretty conventionally. I was I'm British. I grew up around the UK, a military family, um, Christian, went to like English boarding school, um, joined the Marines as an officer. So pretty institutionalized, left there, went to university, pretty disillusioned at uni, and then basically started getting into expeditions and realized that was something I really enjoyed was like adventure and travel and was leading these science conservation trips out in Asia. And I really enjoyed that very much. And and then basically through a series of um, shifts over the next few years, I, you know, I worked in the film industry for a while, but I didn't really vibe with that so much uh, and uh, really missed sort of the, the world of expeditions and excitement. So I decided to go off and make a film uh, myself, uh, climbing a mountain in New Guinea and took a camera and uh, that won loads of awards around the world and we made a doc. and. Uh, and that sort of set me off in the TV world. But I very much started out like as an adventurer. Mm-hmm. And then over time realized that that wasn't good enough. And actually the subjects that I 
became interested in were much more about what's happening to the people around the world. And I, so I started uh, spending more time with tribal people and realizing that they had a real, uh, there were lots of uh, issues around uh, indigenous um, politics around the world and, and issues. So I got involved and interested in that and then sort of picked up by the BBC and made all these series about tribal people and and then went on, as you said, did uh, Amazon and Arctic, which is about globalization and climate change. So it sort of became more and more intense in a way. As, I, as the world opened up to me, as the curtain got ripped back, I saw what was really going on. And the adventure just kind of dissipated and felt quite egoic. And I realized, shit, mm. there's a lot going on. Uh, we've, got to, we've got to sort this out, you know. And then I left the BBC about 10 years ago to make a film for cinema, uh, a feature, feature doc to go a bit deeper into these subjects. Um, and, uh, and so I, I ended up spending like 10 years making a feature film, which came out a couple of years ago, um, which was a little bit more of a philosophical look, a deeper look at the sort of nature connection area. That's the ta Taiwa, am I saying that right? Taiwai, yeah. Ta no one ever says it, no one ever says ta it. Taiwai. Right. <laughs> I should have looked up the phonetics. Um, no, I don't think you'd find it. <laughs> um, but then the rest of it is Tawa, a voice from the forest. So Correct. I know that that's available for purchase. So I'd really invite anyone listening to check that out. It's a beautiful film. Um, and I'm, I'm curious too, like as you made this shift from like adventurer and I'm this guy who likes to go out and climb mountains and make documentaries, which is incredible and exciting to really seeing more of, of what's happening with the people and, and with the planet, like what happened what kind of internal shifts did you find yourself going through as your, you know, external work and perspective changed? What was happening for you, like, as a human? Yeah, well, that's the biggest journey of all, of course, was the realization that the journey was inside, you know, that they were initially the, the sort of, I call myself an explorer, but it, it was exploring the far realms. And then I realized that actually the, the most important place to explore was my inner world. And, and that became, uh, yeah, huge. I mean, there's no one moment, but there's quite a few big stepping stones that um, really uh, that really shifted me. Um, uh, and 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 having the great privilege of having time and space and a bit of money to be able to explore different methodologies. So, you know, everything from plant med plant medicines through to um, uh, Eastern philosophy and uh, Eastern healing traditions and 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 all sorts of different new age healing traditions and the, you know the whole spectrum i dove mm. in deep and spent a lot of time realizing that i had a lot of wounding and that the only way to clear that out was to go in and and pull it up you know and go deep and uh and what a what an extraordinarily um humbling and also privileged journey that was you know and uh so, so grateful for it because life just gets better the the more you clear it out. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely true. And I, I do a lot of work. Uh, it's based on somatic experiencing. I don't know if you're familiar with that work, sure. but it's, yeah, it's yeah. all about like exploring the internal world. And that's primarily my work in the world. And I was listening to a talk where you, you were talking about, you know, how psychedelics can serve as a way to go in and explore our internal terrain. But then you also had a point of some of the and I don't want to speak for you, um, so maybe you could actually speak to this, but how psychedelics in some of the the tribes that you were with, the tribes that seem to be the most um, like equinomous, equinomous, um, like they actually weren't using psychedelics. So I guess I'm curious if you feel like psychedelics as a gateway in the Western world when used properly, like if that's an easier route for some of us to go in because we have no experience with, with really what it is to, to live in that kind of a setting where everyone is sharing and everyone is equal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, Interestingly, I, I, one of my largest sort of awakening moments in life was a psychedelic experience when I was very young. I mean, I grew up very institutionalized, as, as I mentioned earlier. And, and I remember my mum saying, if I ever did a drug, you know, drug being anything mm -hmm. that wasn't legal, uh, uh, none of the legal, illegal drugs, let's say. Uh, that she would disown me. And, um, and so I was very anti anything. I was super sort of um, just towing the party line for most of my youth. 
And then I, I ended up doing a falling madly in love and being persuaded, like, I don't know how, but I must have been incredibly in love to do, uh, to do a mushroom trip and, and out in Indonesia and basically had a massive dose and it totally knocked me sideways. And it, it wasn't what would classically be called a, a good trip. It was like full on. Um, but it did wake me up to something. It made me realize that God, the sort of reality that I had previously thought was the case wasn't. And that did set me off on some sort of a healing journey. But it was a while after that before I came back to them. Um, and in the meantime, I had tried things like meditation and, and that hadn't really worked for me. I mean, I'd done an hour here and an hour there, but it had never broken through. I'd never really felt it. I just thought, oh, this is kind of nice, but I kind of was just playing with it, really. I didn't really get it. So in, so in that sense, um, when, I, when I was then lucky enough to live with some tribes and, and, uh, and then did some more plant medicines, but in this in, in this uh, on these occasions was obviously the setting setting was very different I was being held by masters who knew what they were doing so if it went wrong for me they could hold me and all mm. the stuff that we now know is essential for 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 organizing and orchestrating a, a plant medicine journey um, then suddenly I had this awakening to the sort of more interconnected realms and that's where the sort of more holistic uh, uh, understanding of, of what could be became more apparent um, and so in that sense you, you talk about gateway yeah in, so, in some ways for me it was a gateway because it, it was more of a I needed a slap in, in a way um, and me just learning to meditate every now and then wasn't going to do it it just I just had no concept and so only when I got like a big wet fish around the face I was like <laughs> oh my god that's what they're talking about and then after that I could then go and do like a 10 day Vipassana and realize what was, what was, you know, I'd sort of, I I'd explored those realms before. So I understood the concept of, of, of some of this language of, of connection and unity and oneness and consciousness was sort of like, wasn't alien to me. So in a sense, yeah, the, the, um, the plant medicines were a gateway for sure. And I think they are for many, but of course they're dangerous in our world where we have no culture left, or at least in Europe, of, um, of um, people who can hold those, um, hold space, you know, which is why we all go off to the Amazon or to Africa to get that, because that's mm -hmm. where this, that culture is still alive. I know there's some avenues here for exploring things like Ibogaine and Ayahuasca, um, and I think some are, are quite good. And then some, I know one recently, I had a close friend who was very involved with this group. And then they later found out the, the guy running it was like a sexual predator and um, just really unfortunate, kind of disheartening. So, you know, that exists, but it's- It, it absolutely does exist, you know? And it's weird, this journey, it, it sounds from the, the sort of research you've done on my work, you're talking about a sort of egalitarianism and these equanimous societies. It's funny, um, because they wouldn't, they wouldn't go, they wouldn't accept a shaman. You mm -hmm. know, I think, and this is, we touched on this a, a minute ago. It's like, um, I do believe that some of these things like the meditation, like uh, chanting, like, like um, plant medicines, um, all of these sort of tools that we have for connection to that which is beyond us. Um, I do believe that actually they are they are tools in a sense that that have come about in more recent times. And when you go back to, I've had the great privilege of living with groups who really are egalitarian, and they they don't have shamans. There is no culture of shamanism. There would never be one person who would stand in front and deliver sermons on what is or even communal prayers, because each of them all have their own direct connection with the divine with nature in their own right. And so, so yeah, I think that the, these are more recent um, things that have come about as a result of our growing separation um, and disconnection from, from nature and empathy with, with all that is. Um, and that obviously certain people have, um, have become masters of that. And that's great, and they're very wonderful in many cultures. But, but what you see, and what those early 
tribes knew is that if you give someone too much power, if someone becomes too central, it's very, very hard for any human to hold on to that and not be corrupted. And that's what we see with these charlatan shamans who, who start out so well-meaning, but when you get that much attention, it, it's very, 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 very hard not to be ex exercising and flexing some of that power to your own gain. You know, and so many of us are messed up in this world, and especially with things, you know, you see the sexual predation so often in the shamans because we're with such a repressed society. Yeah. And that's the thing that just emerges, you know. And so I have sympathy for it, but I also, well, it's not sympathy. I understand it, but it's, um, it's obviously really unhealthy. And, and that's why I'm on such a big trip at the moment with the egalitarian societies, because I think they really offer us an amazing insight into a time before our need for these tools. It seems like your experience with the, the Panan people, I think I'm saying that correctly. Um, mm. uh, in general, it seemed like that really changed you and your, your worldview. And again, I'm curious because from what I've read, it sounds like that was almost a, a new wave of a, I don't want to call it a spiritual experience, but I will for lack of a better term um, for something that happened for you internally. And again, I'm curious if you could speak to that because you, you've done all this, you know, living that can be very romanticized with some of these indigenous peoples and, and these traditional cultures, but like this experience seemed quite different. And just hearing you talk about it of a culture and a society that has really no concept or tolerance for inequality or anyone being the main person, to me that feels so like calming and relaxing almost to be able to be in that realm. Like it just lets a huge guard down maybe. I'm, I'm wondering how that experience was for you. Yeah, it's beautiful how you describe it. It does let a guard down. Uh, you know, when I met, first met the Panan, and, and, and just to contextualize, I had already been so privileged in having traveled the world with the BBC, making these documentaries all over the world, living with tribal people. So I'd been everywhere, um, made three or four series already, um, and been to every far-flung corner of the world, living with indigenous peoples who, who you would imagine looked like they'd been living in that way for time immemorial. immemorial. But um, when I met the Panan, yes, something fell away from me. It did feel like I let a guard down in that there was a part of me that I normally bring to every encounter that I ever have. It, it's so subconsciously and subliminally that I didn't even notice, but it was there. And that part of me, I couldn't, there, there was no, nowhere to place it when I was with these people. It's like it fell away. Um, and, and, and yet I didn't know what it was that was so different. It was so curious because they looked exactly the same as any other group of people. They like wearing, wearing t-shirts and shorts and ripped and like smoking cigarettes. So they, they, you know, they'd been affected by the outside world. They, you know, I'd lived with naked cannibals in New Guinea and they didn't affect me like this. I'd lived with people who have like really, who you would think were incredibly ancient cultures and yet they didn't affect me, but the Panan did. And I think in some ways, um, in some ways, it was only as a result of me having been to so many places did this subtle realization come to me that, that they were so different. Um, and that's not to, of course, put down any of my other experiences or any of, the other, of those other groups, all of which were wonderful in their own right. But there was something hugely different. And that thing was, it, came, it, it took me a while to figure out, was that each of these other groups no matter how remote and no matter how wonderful, were all in some ways modern in that they were living with hierarchy. Mm -hmm. And that's that what I've now since realized is a relatively modern concept. 95% um, of our time on the planet, we, it's now believed we lived as egalitarians. And that's only in since sort of agricultural revolution and this new shift in the way we relate to each other and we relate to nature has this sort of hoarding and power and all of this come into our societies. And when you touch and live with a group of people who don't have hierarchy and don't even have competition in their hearts, it's like, it's like, a, it's another paradigm. It's the only way of describing it. It's a completely, it's like that we're the same, we're the same hardware, but it's completely different software working. 
And so it's an extraordinary experience. And that really did, um, has defined my life since then. It's like, why don't people know this? Because, you know, I'm the guy who lived with all the tribes around the world and I didn't know it. This is just not part of our cultural narrative. We think that it's ever been us. We've always been competitive. It's with a, we've always been patriarchal. We've always been all these things. And then it's like suddenly now, God, no, the academics are saying, telling us now that that's not the case, but it hasn't reached the high street yet. It's like, we, we're just not aware of that. And people are still writing all of these pop science books about warfare being in there forever and we're all aggressive. And it's like, it's just not my experience. And the, the, the real experience of living with these people is like, it feels so romantic that you're almost ashamed of expressing it. But the reality is that it's, that it's true. It's like, that's the, that, that, here's groups of people that, that are absolutely living like that. And it's very, very, very likely that that's how we all were for the vast majority of our time on the planet. That shit needs to be told, man. Yeah. <laughs> and I really like how you mentioned there, some of the academics, and you mentioned a particular archaeologist at one point who's validating this and who's saying, no, this actually was more of how we lived. Um, and to kind of piggyback on that, I really like how with your work, a lot of what you're saying is like, we need to come back to ourselves and to like nature and our planet as well as connection. And, and for me, I feel like that gives my own work a little bit of a boost because for so many years I've been saying, you know, what I want to do and what my, my goal is to help people get back in their bodies. And that almost feels very strange to say, and I'm getting more used to it now because I'm seeing actually how that, that is so effective and so healing. Um, so it's really neat to hear you talk about that too, from a different perspective, but like of the healing, really, we need so much to just be able to be present with ourselves. And like, as a society, we're not. And, you know, and then we look at like all these rates of anxiety and depression and, and warfare, and even the hoarding with this toilet paper here with, with the recent COVID, like it's bizarre. You know, what are we, it's just so much fear, I think. And, and the way through it, as you said earlier, is when you, you kind of have to go through and get that cleanse and get slapped with the wet fish, um, even if it's gentle and more titrated. But it's like, we've got to get back to, to like who we are internally and then how we relate to, to the world around us and, and to nature. Um, I don't know if that was a question, but... No, 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 I totally hear <laughs> you. And I think, it, you know, when I, look at, when I look at some of these indigenous groups, especially these very harmonious um, egalitarian ones, they're literally able to just sit sit and just stare at the river flowing by all day long in complete harmony in their, in their cells. And we, you know, we're so addicted to stimulation. I know this from my own life that we just can't sit still, you know? And so all these people at the moment, and I, I feel for them who, who are you know, locked up, we're, 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 the whole world is in lockdown at the moment. And that's, and that's gonna to be tough for a lot of people. I remember I became so addicted to stimulation when I was making all these early shows. And then something occurred to me that made me realize also the problem that I had in that I couldn't sit still, which mm -hmm. is another reason which spurned me on in my sort of journey to, to go, go inside and clear out some of these sort of like cobwebs of, of madness that I was carrying. But yeah, it is, this, this inner work is so needed to, to find our way back to that harmony. And, and when, I, when I, you know, one of the subcontexts of, the, of the, the film to why that's there is this idea that we put across in the film that um, actually prior to agriculture, when we were hunting and gathering, we, hunting and gathering is in its own right a form of meditation you have mm. to be present in order to catch the monkey you know if you're drifting off in your mind in other times and places the monkey's going to get away you're going to snap on a twig you're just not present you've got to be fully focused in your body in your senses and those guys are using their sight their sound their smell everything to be fully present to where that animal might be so that they can catch it likewise when you're foraging you know you're you have to be really alert. You're not just walking the dog whistling, looking at the horizon. You've got to be here now. Where might that mushroom be? Where might that stand of particular type of forage food might it be? I'm in nature. That's damp. Okay, I know that these things live there. This is like dark. I know that shady things live. You know, so you have to be present fully to be with nature when you're feeding yourself as a hunter-gatherer. But of course, as soon as you start agriculture, 
that relationship with your own body shifts as well. You're, now you're in a place of dominance. Now you're like putting things in the ground. You, you can be wearing headphones and listening to bloody Elvis and not be present at all when you're planting. I mean, you can be, and many people are beautiful, present, um, and you know, respectful horticulturalists, but you don't have to be, you know? And for, for, for many of us, we're not even engaged with the land at all. So that shift is, a, I think it has been a massive shift in the way that we use our mind and body and senses. And so we're just, we're not used to going into our bodies. We're not used to being in, in our senses and it's, it's uncomfortable for us. Also, especially with the reduction, you know, with the change in the way that we bring up our children and all the traumas that we receive from a very young age. You again, you just don't see happening in a community setting in the, in with, with some of these tribal groups. It's like the shared maternity and paternity releases the stress that mm. so many of us in our nuclear families are are passing on to our to the next generation because they're such sponges and there's nowhere for them to go. Whereas in a tribe, it's like mum and dad are having a hard time. They'll just go next door because mm -hmm. everyone's got shared value system. that is the same and there's no walls. And so they can just, you know, you, I spend times with tribes and the parents are like, Oh, that's my kid. And you haven't seen him for days. He's running around with all the tribe of kids off doing their thing, you know, and like, and the stresses and the traumas of the things that should happen but don't or shouldn't happen, but do that we spend the rest of our lives dealing with, they, they, they just have much less of that. I think mm. it's a much more tranquil, harmonized way of growing up when you share that paternity and maternity with, with a bunch of like-minded people who you're out with every day. And I think that can't be, can't be overestimated or overemphasized as a, a it's a massive part of our society that's that's missing and that we're all dealing with you know we spend half the rest of our lives on the couch or going to drink medicine or <laughs> cross-legged trying to deal with that stuff. it's true it's true that's like what what many of us do is spend our lives trying to figure out a way through there yeah. um it's something that's become more prevalent in my mind recently i'm like god maybe i should try to figure out how to work with kids and like get this started in earlier of just how can we be more present in our bodies and even and i think especially in this world where we have so much stimulation and kids are so over scheduled it's kind of a blessing what's happened now with this lockdown because families just have to be together and i'm sure there's probably some traumas that are coming from that um, but i think there's also some really good moments of connection that otherwise there 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 isn't the opportunity for um, I'm curious too, how do you bring some of this into your own life now, you know, on a daily basis, what are some things that you do to try to engage your senses and stay present in your body and be with yourself? Yeah. Um, well, I, I, I have a meditation routine that comes and goes. Um, and I've done a number of, um, Vipassanas and different types of meditation retreats. And I find that the meditation is a, is an amazing tool. You know, I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a Buddhist. I don't flow with the, I don't follow the Dharma fully, but I think as a tool, it's an extraordinary insight into how to rebalance our inner world. Um, I, um, and I forage actually, I think that's probably my, my greatest sort of, so I'm not meditating a lot at the moment in a cross-legged sort of sense, mm -hmm. um, but I am trying to um, forage. Uh, and for me, that's like, that, that answers lots of different things. Firstly, it brings me into presence and brings me into nature and it allows me to, to go on a walk, so exercise, but also it, it, um, it's sort of connecting me with the natural world in a way that I'm really trying to learn things. Cause of course you'll die. I mean, there's lots of, even just in my garden, there's plants that will kill me right next door to plants that are full of nutrition. Mm -hmm. And so that's exciting and it means you have to stay alert. And so I, I, I and also it's, it gives me a sense of connection to place in a funny sort of way. It's like, okay, this is what I've now realized what, what I feel like 
home is is it home doesn't have to be bricks and mortar home is a place that you can feel comfortable that you can look after yourself and that you can kind of survive in a way and so for me it's like connecting to the plants that i can eat has mm -hmm. been a really beautiful journey for me to sort of like try and connect to to this place that i now want to call home um and so i think that's one of my great meditations is is that um and then you know i i i'm a i i do like my um plant medicines when, when i can get hold of them um they're mostly illegal in this country um so and i haven't been abroad for a while so um you know but that's that's the, the i the they're an extraordinary healing for me i do them ceremonially i mean i have done mushrooms kind of like recreationally many times in my life and i love it um but i also these days i really enjoy doing a ceremonial journey um and taking friends as well who are maybe having a difficult time and, and doing that and sitting with that um Breathwork. I mean, the thing is, I haven't done a lot of this for a while. I lived in Ibiza for ten years, and that place is like you know, um, just full of full of a lot of uh, the healing arts everywhere. Hmm. Uh, and so, you know, every other week I was doing different breathwork type skills and um, contact dance, or you know, or five rhythms, or whatever it was. You know, the whole the whole panel p of it but like here in wales is not so much of that so <laughs> so i've kind of in a sense i'm kind of glad of that too you know i i i feel these these things go in phases for me and um you know i i think it's important to have your 40 days and 40 nights in the desert and do your healing but you've got to come back into the world you know i've i i i've i kind of left the bubble of the that space a little bit on purpose to go okay look, i'm definitely not cured i've still riddled with stuff but part of my journey is to go back into the world mm -hmm. you know i do need to take what it is that i've learned and bring it otherwise i can just stay in my bubble and we'll just just all you know are, are we do are is are we doing enough work if it's just only on ourselves till the rest of time or do is there a time when we have to take it back out so I kind of felt that maybe I had done, I'd had my fill for a period and I'm now is a time when I'm going back out a little bit. Um, and what else? Well, that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> I like that you've, uh, you mentioned Vipassana. I did a couple of Vipassana retreats myself years ago. It's, it's nice. And thinking about doing one now, back then I had a lot more time and I was traveling pretty freely. Um, but thinking about that now, it sounds, again, just like really relaxing just to not talk for 10 days and sit and observe. It's, it's a nice practice. Yeah, I think it's one of the most amazing gifts one can give oneself. I mean, it's yeah. a privilege. To ha I don't have young kids or anything. It's a privilege to, to have 10 days to go it and is. do that. And you know, I've got a lot of friends who are not into any of these things and they would just see that as purely self-indulgent. But, uh, but as you and I know, these things, they can look inward looking and a bit sort of navel gazing, but they're, they're uh, you know, as I'm sure you say in every one of your podcasts, it's like, the, you know, the, these things are for, for the, we see these things as going in in order to be of service to the wider, um, to the wider world and to increase our level of empathy and stuff. And, I definitely think that Vipassana is an extraordinary gift. It's terrifying. I mean, the first one you do is terrifying. <laughs> I didn't mind being silent. It was the sitting. The sitting, sitting, all the sitting. I was thinking about that last night. I'm like, oh, I'd love to do that. And so much sitting. The one that I did it in a few different places, but there was a little walking track. And that was kind of my saving grace is to do the mindful walking, but to okay, yeah. just be in movement instead of yeah, yeah, sitting yeah. and sitting and sitting. Struggle been... with, I struggle with sitting like all day. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough on the joints, especially yeah. as you get older. <laughs> um, and so you talk about how we need to f fall in love with, with nature. Um, and I really love that concept of, because it's not just, you know, the internal work, which is great. And, and I think it's wonderful for us to, to do that self-reflection and to be able to be present. But this idea of expanding that outward to fall in love with nature is such a, so beautifully well said. And I think it is 
absolutely essential, you know, particularly now when, when you look at some of the things that you demonstrated as um, in your film, as far as like what's happening with the, the palm oil production. And I watched that and clearly I've been doing some research on you these past few days. And then I looked at this protein bar and I'm like, there's fucking palm oil in this. It's everywhere. And it's like, how do we raise our awareness to a point where we can actually start I don't know, being of service to some of these, these cultures and, and to our, to our planet really, where this idea of falling in love with nature, isn't just, I go out and hike and spend time in the forest, which I like to do quite frequently, but really how do we become more aware and have some of these practices that are more enmeshed in our daily lives in the Western world without driving ourselves crazy? Because I can see that too, like, because we are born into this culture and, and, you know, it's kind of like, this is what we're given. And no, that doesn't mean we need to just sink into it and be mass consumers. But I'd love to hear some practical ways, you know, for myself, as well as for anyone who's listening, that we can be better consumers or more responsible consumers, or take this idea of falling in love with nature, like into more aspects of our daily lives and our consumption. Yeah, thank you. That's really beautiful. Um, it's hard, you know, and I'm really glad that you highlighted this idea that we're, you know, that we're born into this. I think it's vital because if, because we can get, we can get very caught up in the pain of the realization of what we are and what we're doing. Um, and I think it's really, really, really important to remember that we didn't start this. You know, we may be the people waking up to it because like we've been throwing our trash over the hill for a long time. And now we're realizing that it's all, the, it's all coming back to roost. You know, it's like there's nowhere left that, that, you know, that we can throw it to. It's like, you know, we're, we're, we're realizing now that our way of life has had a dramatic impact on the planet. And it's like, and the planet is is um is not well and uh, and we are we're responsible but we didn't start it so i think it's really important not to beat ourselves up it's really important to stay light but it's also really important to stay focused and to make it our to make it our um our journey to stick with it as a as a as a point of reference that we're going to try and 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 improve the way that we consume and the way that we live our lives. And the best way to do that, I think, is, is, is to, to feel more deeply. It's like, so as you say, you get out into nature and stuff. And so falling in love with nature is a notion. It's like just to, 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 to um, experience the love and the harmony that one can have by being in a pristine place that, that, that is so vibrant and alive. But then also to just try and feel that, you know, this is why I think the plant medicines have such an important role because you can go and do, you can go and do a Vipassana or a meditation retreat and you can stay pretty much in, in the headspace. But the reason that I like a lot of the indigenous teachings is because they have within them also quite a lot of, of narrative that connects us with, with nature and that you'll have the imagery of the, serpents and the, the the cats and all of these things that are part of it because it's like within the indigenous realm is still this notion of us being very embedded in the natural world but i think a lot of these things are, are, are narratives at the end of the day you know you can train to be incredibly present and be a boxer you can train to be incredibly present and be a sniper you know those guys have to be pretty straight on so being present isn't enough it's like what narrative do you mix it with and where are you going on your inner journey in order to feel, you know, it's like, I want to, I, I, I want to take on the realization that, that, that my health is intrinsically linked with the health of the planet. Mm -hmm. You know, we talk about oneness, but we often just think of that in some sense of human oneness, but actually we are nothing if we don't have a healthy planet. So I now want to engage with that tree. And when I take a mushroom, I want to feel that tree and see it breathing and know and love that tree and just give it such gratitude. And this is what, again, the, the, the um, tribal medicines have, have shared with me. It's like to feel in your heart the deep gratitude of the blessings of Mother Nature, that we are here, not because we are some exalted species that 
that, that has some divine right, but because we, we are humbly here mm -hmm. receiving the blessings of nature on a daily basis in her beauty, in the, the offerings of the, the fruits and the foods and all of these things. It's like, you know, the, the, the gift of being incarnated in this physical realm and having all of this beauty to enjoy and, and having it for free. Yeah. Having it for free from nature and, and, and taking that on board as a feeling and then just feeling deep in our hearts the gratitude that can come from that experience um, and just like just being with that feeling and to me that's what falling in love with nature is it's like just being in my heart and just going wow thank you thank you so much for all of these gifts and all of these blessings and all of this beauty and all of this joy it's like wow that the experience of being here with all the ups and downs is the most amazing experience and I want my kids to have that and I want their kids to have that and it's just I don't want to be the one of this generation where all the bloody tigers go and all the elephants and the rhinos and the little things and the birds and it's like the bees it's like let's not let that happen on our watch you know I might not be around to see them all disappear but they're on their way out so let's 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 try and do a better job of seeing reading that packet it's like you know me going to the store is a nightmare i you know <laughs> I, to, it's like i want to read the packet does it have palm oil in palm oil yeah. is in everything and like everything. palm oil is just one of thousands of things that are causing problems yeah. so how do we get around that well okay i'm learning to grow my own food and like that's hard because i used to be the guy who ran around the world Having, and now I'm out in the garden picking stones out my bloody, my veg patch. <laughs> and in some ways, one could see that as like a step down from this high octane, exciting life. And in another way, you could, well, you could see that as just getting older. But another <laughs> way, you could see that as like, no, this is me giving back. This is also me finding joy in something more simple. I don't need to be constantly chasing the buzz in order to find contentment and happiness in my life. I think this is one of the great things that, again, that tribes have taught me. It's like where we put our meaning is, is where we deride our happiness. So at the end of the film, Tawai, you'll remember there's a beautiful line that's like the last line, I think, that the Panan people say, my friend Arau, he says to me, I don't know about planes or cars, but if they don't last forever, I don't want them. Mm -hmm unlike the forest which lasts till the end of time and what just to unpack and to unpick this for your listeners a little bit it's like so here's this group of people who, who i'm spending time with and this is one of the lines they give me and it's not that they don't think that planes and cars are cool of course they do they think that planes are great that cars are great and 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 yet what what it is is that they think that looking after their children is greater. Mm -hmm. That's it. It's just they have prioritized differently. Their priority isn't their own well-being, their own happiness. Their priority is the well-being and happiness of the future generations. And because they've made that shift in their head as like this is genuine, this isn't just a platitude. We say, yeah, I love my kids. It's like they genuinely are placing the well-being of the future generations almost ahead of their own and that's not a sacrifice this is the most important thing to understand this isn't a sacrifice it's just a shift in meaning and when you can shift meaning then that's where you find your happiness and so it's not that they don't love certain things they just love other things more and when and so and this is a point that victor frankel the guy who is uh who is the psychiatrist psychiatrist in Auschwitz he pointed out that all the people whose meaning was just their own well-being and their own happiness clearly had a really fucking hard time mm -hmm. but those people whose meaning and happiness was derided in like maybe their children or their loved ones or something that was beyond themselves they could go through all manner of difficulties because that what they were walking towards where they where their life's meaning was was beyond them and I think this is what the tribes had as well. Well, the reason that he said that line 
was because he genuinely gained his life's happiness from wanting the forest to be healthy. And that was it. And if the cars and the planes got in the way of that, he just wasn't interested. Mm-hmm. Whereas for us, it's slightly different because so many of us are so wrapped up in like, well, I want this because this is going to make me happy. And it's like, I, he gets his happiness from something else. And that's a huge thing. I mean, it's the reverse of the American dream almost. It's like, it's, it's not about me. It's just not about me anymore. It's about the group and the group's well-being and the well-being of the group intrinsically linked with the well-being of the, the environment that holds them. And that is their key to happiness. That's really that was, true connection that, too with everything. Yeah, yeah. But you talk about that here and everyone thinks you're a socialist. <laughs> but it's, it's beautifully well said. And I really encourage everyone to, to take a look at this movie. And I'm curious to, for you too, do you have, is there a specific like word or phrase that comes back to you on a daily basis or saying that you find, or thought pattern even that you find repeating in your own mind daily as you as you do, you know, have your internal exploration tied to a specific narrative? Um, no, no, I, it, it, I'd be lying if I said that anything really came to mind instantly that was uh, like a daily routine or a daily something. But like, I definitely, you know, I touched on it earlier. I think just finding the gratitude is, is really nice. And I just like to extend that out into nature, you know. I just want to bring nature into our otherwise very human sort of like, thank you to the people who grew it. Thank you to, you know, we can sit around and before we have our meal and say thanks to everyone here. But like, and we can also, you know, thank our deities. But those deities are very human, you know, often, you know. How about thanking the feminine aspect of Mother Nature and and the the rains and the soils and the winds and the insects and all of those things that really were the ones that allowed that food to come into our place. You know, it's like, that's what's really going on to me. And so to remember that and to feel the gratitude and really hold the gratitude uh, and the joy on a daily basis, it's like that's that, that I guess that would be my attempted routine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I slip. But I, I, I'm always grateful when I pause and go, wow, just try and sink into my heart a little bit. Wow, thank you. This is an amazing experience. Yeah, I think that's the practice too, the slipping and the noticing and the being grateful and looking at a tree for a long time. Um, and I know, and I know we're wrapping up, I don't want to take up too much of your time, um, but I'm curious just because this is a recovery-based podcast, if you could speak a little bit about what you've observed in the, the tribes and or in your own experience, because I know you went through a period of um, no sex, drugs, or alcohol for years. Just if you could speak to what you've seen as far as addictive behaviors in other, some of these other cultures or, or what you noticed in yourself from doing that extended period of abstinence. Yeah, well... As I sort of said earlier, you know, I, I, I've noticed, especially in these more egalitarian tribes where they're not caught up in the stresses that come from hierarchy, because I think there's a lot of stress that comes from social inequalities that we see clearly in our society, but also even in tribal groups. But when you have, when you're not having to deal with that mm-hmm. <laughs> social inequality, because everyone owns, co-owns everything, no one even owns anything and everyone's sharing and everyone is equal, literally, and everyone's working on a daily basis to avoid anyone becoming more powerful or showing off or hoarding or anything. So it's literally a level playing field. You can imagine <laughs> the, how much stress is released from that. Um, but interestingly so when you're with a group of people like that you will notice or i've noticed that that i don't see um hardly any sort of what we would think of as addictive tendencies at all Mm -hmm. you know um and i don't think that's just because of the equality i think it's also what we talked on about earlier it's like the community bringing up the children and that being less much less trauma within their societies much less to to have to be with or the difficulty i think you know as gabo mate describes so beautifully it's like so much of trauma is just so much of our addiction is just like 
a covering up of pain in whichever way that is. Yeah. Um, and, and so I just don't see that in the same way that I see people who are much more tranquil very often. And that doesn't mean that they're perfect groups at all. They have their ups and downs, but that the, 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 they definitely seem a lot less traumatized than us. Um, and I would love to, to, find a way of bringing that into more into my own life going forwards as well. I think community is a huge part of that. It's so hard for us. We're so addicted to our freedom and our free space and our free time. And our, you know, and actually the groups who, who have less of that, where they're more combined tend to be the more, more harmonious groups. And we, we've got, we've such a long way to go to untangle yeah. ourselves, I think. But yeah, for myself and my own journey. Yeah, I did. I did a few years of abstinence and I, I went cold turkey on everything. Um, I was living in Ibiza, having a pretty wild time at the time. <laughs> when I gave up sex, drugs, alcohol, tobacco, all of basically everything. And Coffee? Had the most extraordinary few years. It was amazing. Um, so what did I... Well, was, sex was a very peculiar thing to stop and very um, hard because of course it is a natural thing. It's mm -hmm. like, it, 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 there are natural drives within us. Um, but for me, that was the, the, definitely the hardest and probably the most powerful thing that, um, that uh, allowed me to wake up to the inner workings of the energy flows within my body and see where my driving forces were and realize for the first time, what had been my driving forces so automatically that I hadn't even noticed them. And then mm -hmm. through the process of observing that and then through the process of, of not acting on that and realizing over time that there was no point in acting because it wasn't going to go anywhere, then able, enabling myself to literally feel different parts of my body connecting you know, like connecting from my chest and my heart for the first time in my life where there was no neediness or no grasping and no taking. It was just purely experiencing meeting someone as another being rather than what can I have because you're beautiful or, or mm -hmm. not. or How can this, how can I get something from this? That was the most extraordinary journey for me. Um, and uh, so grateful for it, but tough as it was. Mm. And the alcohol and drugs and stuff, you know, the, I had a different journey with all of those. In some senses, the drugs that I was taking were a, a way of escaping sort of like notoriety. I was quite, I was quite in vogue for a period of time and I was getting a lot of, a lot of attention and it was a nice way of me just like drifting out of that and just like sort of cruising through being, being center of attention, which was, which is an awkward and weird experience and then alcohol was just so sort of like indoctrinated from youth as the the, the only form of connection and social mm -hmm. setting it's like you know to just just literally everywhere you go the first thing you have is an alcoholic beverage it's so weird and so giving up that really sort of triggered a lot of people um around me it's like why don't you want to drink you know we're, we're at a funeral we need to get drunk whatever it was it's like mm -hmm. and so all of these things it was the alcohol one wasn't so hard in some ways physiologically but it was socially it was quite a weird one because it was so because people were kind of often quite offended by me not drinking with them mm -hmm. some it's so ingrained in the culture of like Isn't this it? is this is what we do for fun this is what we do to grieve this is what we yeah. do on a sunday morning yeah yeah, um, yeah, it's interesting. That yeah, was your so experience. They, they all had their very subtle, different sort of mm. um, effects on me. Um, but it was—I I was in such strong belief at the time. It was while I was also sort of beginning to make the film to why, and I was in this extraordinary mental space of of very sort of out there belief systems of manifestations and various things like mm -hmm. I was in a really, I, you know, I was in a very rarefied space. It kind of all crashed a little bit later on, but that's another story for another time. Um, and I've now found sort of a more balanced um, 
place with it all. But it's hard, it's, you know, it's like all these things, it's like being a vegan or like, it's easier to draw a line and step behind it and say, I'm mm-hmm. not doing this. It to is. step into it and go, okay, I'm only gonna do this consciously. I'm gonna like, I might eat meat, but only if it's wild or only if it's something that I shot in my backyard or, or, if, or if I'm only going to drink alcohol, like maybe a glass of wine, at dinner but as soon as you let it in of course then the floodgates are open and you have a whole nother you've got to be like much more present on a daily basis and i found it so much easier to have a very strict line and stay behind it i'm not going there um and in some ways it was it was really healthy time for me but it wasn't but i was missing something Mm. you know and so i've quite enjoyed coming back in but it's funny how you see um Oh, I'm just sometimes you slip up and you and you find yourself back where you were but but I don't see it as you know I definitely see it as a spiral rather than just constantly re- repeating itself and what I mean by that is yes I still notice that I still have some of the same problems that I used to have mm-hmm. and that I'm still susceptible to a a, a, a slipping into a negative relationship with alcohol for example on occasions but what's different is that it's not automatic and I'm able to observe it and having had the period of abstinence I'm able to be with it differently and so yes I still slip as I come around that spiral Mm -hmm. when I reach the alcohol phase again sometimes I'll slip but it's never as bad as it was Um, and I'm much more aware of it and it's like oh look I'm drinking in the evenings now what's going oh it's because i'm lonely or oh it's because i'm stressed or i picked up a cigarette yeah i'm stressed it's like so i'm 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 very aware of it but i allow myself to do it and then just bring myself off it again so it's like yeah it's a funny little game this <laughs> this this world of trying to 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 heal ourselves it's quite a journey isn't it <laughs> it is i like the concept of the spiral though i noticed that with my own sort of relationship to anxiety and stress how it's so different than it was even when it kind of shows up still the same it is like a at a different part of the spiral i think that's a yeah. good analogy yeah um, did, did you, and I, I promise we're almost done. Um, <laughs> I think it's quite late there. Did you ever want to stay with any of the tribes? Was it like really hard for you ever to leave? Did you ever want to just change your life and go live in the tribe? Um, you know what, when I was early on, when I was making the tribe series for the BBC, um, I didn't really, you know, I was still too addicted to my lifestyle. You know, I wanted to get back home. I wanted to have clean sheets and a hot shower and a comfy bed. And, you know, I found living with them sometimes really tough because it was physically hard. It was like you know, the food was monotonous and the sleeping conditions were tough. And, and the, it, so it was, it was a really, it was a really beautiful insight. I could see the benefits of their societies so well. I could see that the simplicity of life, I could see it, but I wasn't able to be able to be with it enough because I think I was just too early in my journey of, hmm. of, of, of into the self, you know, and to, to recovery, if you will. Um, so yeah, at that stage, I wasn't, it, it, it wasn't um, something that I was looking for. Uh, even though I was able to identify in a non-romantic way, in a real way, oh my God, look, their values and their way of being and their simplicity and their community, it was like so clear that there was something incredibly beautiful there. But it, was, it wasn't something that I felt I could just stop and join. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's different now. I think I would be much more, <laughs> much more open to it now, you know. Um, uh, I think that I've, I probably heal, I, I probably rid myself of, of my addiction to stimulation enough that I could really be with the tranquility in a different way. You know? Where would you go? I think the Penan really, you know, they do, they just, they are, they've got something about them that's so mm-hmm. tranquil. They're so tranquil. I, I do like them. Yeah, I mean they're struggling yeah. with the loss of their forest, but they're but they're they're a very special group. Do you stay in touch with them? It's very hard. They have no 
they have no means to communicate. The people on the outside who are connecting with them on a relatively regular basis, like once or twice a year, I, I, I check in occasionally. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for chatting with me today. It's really Alice, lovely. Talk to you. Yeah. Really enjoyed it. I appreciate your time. Do you have any upcoming projects that you want to pitch or talk about or share? Thank you. Um, no, you know what? I'm, I've, I came to the realization that after all of this time making films, traveling the world, talking about it, I was like, I've got to just start doing it. So what, what, where I'm at now is I'm, I've, uh, I've got a property in Wales and um, the plan is to have people come and live with me and, and to let, let, let go of ownership into the space and try and live with nature and be with this space. You know, it's like, it's a, it's, it's a, a early days in what's going to be a lifelong journey, but it felt like being it was more important now than talking about it hmm. because for all the talk of egalitarianism and stuff, I felt I just noticed even with like 10 years of making this film from my heart, it's like it kind of goes over some people's heads. And I was like, the only way that actually I'm going to touch the people I really need to touch is by doing it. Yeah. Like, come Experiential on, I'm happier now than I used to be doing all of this mad stuff, like in the five star lifestyle in the Mediterranean. And here, and here I am and actually more content. Hmm. I'm not there yet, but I think that that's possible. And so if I can achieve that, then maybe that could be something that could be inspiring in a different way. Yeah, it's beautiful. Mm. Thank you, Bruce. Not at all. Alice, lovely to talk to you. You too. Yeah, and blessings to all your listeners. Thanks for, thanks for, for listening in. Yeah.